0: Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? It's good to see you. All right, so we're landing a series. This is the final week of a series that we've been calling the test. Some of you are going, man, finally. But that's good. Uh, The conversation's been about finances. And it's been an interesting conversation. And what we said at the beginning, look, 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 we're not going to make this about guilt. Nobody's going to twist your arm through this series. But we are going to talk to you about considering taking a test. And the whole idea of this comes out of Malachi chapter 3. And if you're not familiar, it's a moment in which God's having a conversation uh, with the children of Israel. And he says to them, look, uh, you guys have gotten way, wayward. You, you've gotten really far from me. Your lives are plagued by sin and disobedience. It's time for you to come home. To which the children of Israel respond and they go, okay, all right. If we were going to consider coming home, if we were going to respond and come back and renew our commitment to you, how would we do that, God? And God's answer in that moment is really intriguing. He says, uh, you're going to do this financially. He says, uh, you've been robbing me of tithes and offerings. And so your first foot forward on renewing and restoring your relationship with me is to bring obedience to this part of your life. Because, here's what God knew in that moment, that our finances are really, really tied up in our personhood. And he knew that what they decided to do with their finances would say so much about all of the rest of the parts of their lives. And it's as if in this moment God knew this is a hard conversation, this is going to freak some people out. And so he says, hey, put me to the test. And, and here's, here's kind of the dialogue he has. He says, look, I've got blessings. I've got things that I've wanted to do in your life that you haven't even experienced. You've never seen them because of your continual disobedience in this area of finances in your life. It's almost as if those blessings are stored up in a pipe and the valve of disobedience has kept me from doing what I wanted to do for you and blessing you the way I wanted to bless you. And if you would simply decide to be obedient, to begin to tithe, it's like it would open up the floodgates of heaven and you would suddenly experience me and things in a way that you had never done before. So test me. And see if I'm being honest about this. See if I'm legit about this part of the conversation. And guys, here's what you just need to know. I don't, I don't know what the blessing is. I don't know if it's financial. It may be financial. It may be an opportunity in your life that God just wouldn't have provided if you hadn't been faithful. It may be a moment of just wisdom. And all of a sudden you understand or you see something with clarity. And you make a profoundly better decision. And you avoid all sorts of problems. and hard. I don't know what the blessing is. All I know is God said, test me and see if this doesn't just bring a whole new level of your enjoyment and your ability to experience me in your life by being faithful in this part of your life and your finances. Your church then came back and said, look, what if we just had a 90 day challenge? What if we just said, okay, God, we're going to test you. We're going to see. And we said to you, because we believe that God will do what God said he would do, your church is going to stand behind God. So if you'll take the 90-day tithing challenge, if you'll tithe for the next 90 days, if God doesn't show up, if God lets you down, if God is unfaithful to his promises, we'll refund for you 100% of whatever you tithe. Because we just believe that sincerely that God doesn't make empty, hollow promises. Now, here's the interesting thing. What we've been discovering the last few weeks is that when we put God to the test, when we say, okay, God, I'm going to test you and see, it immediately puts you and me to the test. You and I cannot possibly tithe, give the first 10%, and it not test our hearts too. And so we talked about this idea of the test of what I trust, that I trust God to provide for me more than a piece of paper with ink on it. And we talked about the test of first place, that we say whenever we tithe, we bring him the first of our earning because we're saying to God, God... You deserve this more than any bill collector, any debt that I have, and you deserve this more than visas, so I'm going to put you in first place. And then we talked about the test of ownership that just said, look, it it wasn't mine in the first place. I'm just a manager. God gave me everything I have, and so it's nothing to return back to God a portion of what he gave me. Today, you and I are going to talk about the test of love, which I believe this may be the most important conversation we have in the whole series. So before you tune out, before you go, oh, if I can just survive one more Sunday and not give in to the test. Before you do that, would you just listen with an open heart and open mind? Because this may be the conversation that God has been waiting to have with you. It's the test of love. Now, here's my guess. My guess is, is that there's any number of us in the room right now. And and here's what's been going on in Our hearts. We've been saying, you know what, I, I would love to do this. A matter of fact, my plan is not to be disobedient in this area of my life for the rest of my life. I plan to eventually be a tither. But here's the deal. I can't afford it. I, I, I'm, I, I went home after we had the talk and, and, and I, I calculated up my expenses. And I'm just, there's no room. It just does not fit, and maybe that's my own fault. Maybe, maybe I bought you know more car than I should have bought, or maybe I extended myself on my house, or you know I, I've run up some credit cards with high interest, and so you know I've got pay- it, so so maybe I own this, but I'm just telling you, I've figured it out. It, it just doesn't fit. So what I'm thinking is I can pay a few things down, I'll get myself in a better place, and then I'll take God up on the challenge. But it just doesn't make sense. Right now. It's interesting because I got an email this last week from a little gal who would say exactly the same thing. Uh, let me read you her email. Her name's Tanya. Here's what she says. I did it. I took the ultimate test today. I gave my first even though I paid it last. I cannot tell you of the anguish in my spirit uh, the last four days. The anxiety, the fear has been overwhelming and painful. You get that courage is not what you do when you're unafraid. Courage is what you do when your knees are knocking. Counting every penny in my head, not sleeping, I listened to every single word you spoke today and all that the Spirit whispered into my ear. I cried a lot. I went up front for prayer afterwards, for courage and for faith to walk to the kiosk on my way out. Mary was a godsend. She helped me so much I don't have money to pay my rent, my utilities, my gas or my groceries, but I gave the Lord his money back, relying completely on his provision. I'm feeling drained, but at peace. Please pray for myself and for my children. Thank you so much. And can I just can I just say that when you're a pastor and you get a note like that is so humbling because it just reminds you that, People are making sacrifice to be obedient and to give and trusting your staff to take what you've given and say, look, let's use this for the kingdom. Let's make Jesus more famous. Let's not waste a penny of it because that penny didn't come easy. It came with faith and courage. It's interesting because Tanya's story is actually in the Bible. It's a different gal, but it's the. Same story. It's the story of a gal uh, who's on her own, has kids to raise. And when she begins to look at the pocket, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense to give to God. And yet in that moment, she makes a decision. And we're ready. What she decides to do when tithing makes no sense brings Jesus to his feet. He stands in applause and says, wow, did you see that? And I'm going to say that she passes with flying colors the test of love. So grab your Bibles and we'll take a look at her story. It's in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 12. And if you're not familiar, if you just simply go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find uh, her story. Mark, chapter 12. It's Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. Watch this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but poor, the poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples. Jesus goes, oh man, guys, 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 come on, come you got to see this. Calling his disciples, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, guys, get the moment. So Jesus, on this day, is sitting outside the temple. Uh, There would have been kind of a collection plate thing that was there at the Outer court when you went to go in. And, and there are wealthy people coming by with bags full of money. Uh, dropping them into the collection pot. Chances are they're wealthy farmers. Uh, it's probably a pretty good guess that it's somewhere right after harvest time. Because you got to remember it's an agrarian. It's an agricultural uh, economy that they're living in. Uh, the harvest has come in. They took all of their harvest and they've now sold it. And now they're bringing 10%. Of what they've made to the temple, so of course they're bringing once a year tithe. I mean, these are they're bringing in significant bags of money, and then a widow, <laughs> a widow who has reached down into her purse and realized that all she has are two copper coins. We call them widows' mites in today's culture. You and I call them pennies, and now she goes to that temple uh, offering plate. And she drops in her two little copper coins, all that she had left. And in that moment, Jesus calls his disciples, man, did you guys see that? I mean, that was remarkable. And my guess is the disciples did exactly what you and I would have done in that moment. We went, did somebody bring a bigger bag than the others? Did, Did like a rare ruby come tumbling out of one of them? I mean, what is it that's got Jesus so excited? Jesus goes, no, 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 no. The gal with two copper coins. The the widow who gave the two pennies. She in this moment gave more than all the rest of them. To which the disciples had to be scratching their heads. He goes, no, you don't understand. Because she gave out of her need. She gave when it made no sense. She gave when it did not fit. She gave when giving meant she would be hopeless Unless God showed up in her life. And Jesus is suddenly teaching an incredibly powerful lesson. You guys ready for this? In essence, he says, hey, what what the rich people gave, it's no big deal. It's not. Because think about this. If you've got a million dollars, so you tithe a hundred thousand. I mean, that may sound like a lot, but you realize you still got nine hundred thousand dollars. What are you going to do with nine hundred thousand bucks? After you buy the bigger house and buy the new car, you still got 500000 left over. If, if you have $100,000 in your household income and you tie $10,000, you're going, man, that's a big deal. I tie $10,000. You just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You still got $90,000. Do you realize all the discriminatory income? Do you realize how many things you can buy that other people only dream of? And I know, I know, I know you're going to suffer because you're going to have to downgrade your beamer to an infinity, but look. But she, she gave everything she had when it didn't make sense to give. And he said by doing so, she did more than everybody else who walked up that collection plate today. She passed, you ready? She passed the test of love. Here's what you got to get. It's actually her lack. It's, It's actually the fact that she doesn't have and can't afford that actually becomes her opportunity to thrill the heart of Jesus. To bring him to his feet with applause and going, Wow, that was remarkable. It's actually the fact that it doesn't add up. That makes what she does so spectacular, which means, are you ready for this, guys? For every one of us in the room that have taken that moment and we've, we've calculated, we said, "I, I just can't afford it. What you do next has the potential to thrill the heart of God because it's what you do when it's hard to do it that matters the most and defines who and what you love. Well, let me see if I can help us with that. <clears throat> what if I said to you, hey, I've got a proposition. If you'll walk a quarter mile, I'll give you a brand new car. How many go, I, I, I'd walk a quarter mile for a brand new car. How many you go, I'd walk 10 miles. All right. How about this one? What if I said to you, uh, if you'll walk a quarter mile, I will feed clothe and give shelter to a homeless person for a month if you walk a quarter how many people go I'd walk a quarter mile okay you guys are liars because more of you raised your hands for the homeless person than did for the car but you get what we just did in that moment right we said well you know hey walking a quarter mile that's not not a big deal I would gladly do that if it was helpful or you know if I got some great benefit out of it. I mean I can do that what if I make the quarter mile harder What if the quarter mile's not so easy anymore? About a year ago, my wife came to me and she goes, Lynn, uh, you realize you've never taken me to the Grand Canyon. We've been married 34 years. You've never taken me to the Grand Canyon. And and I said, Lisa, it's a hole. It's a hole. I mean, I'm just telling you, you get there, it's a hole. And, And if you've seen the postcard... You've seen the Grand Canyon, because it's not like it's going to get up and dance. or It's a hole in the ground. We ended up going to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> but imagine this. Imagine if after we had gotten there, we'd gone to one of the more narrow stretches of the Grand Canyon, and now we had stretched a beam across a quarter mile of the Grand Canyon. And now I said to you, walk the beam for a quarter mile, and I'll give you a car. How many people are in? Okay, there's three people who really need a car. The rest of us are going, well, no, wait, wait. I, I'm not risking my life a half a mile in the air on a beam for a quarter. I'll earn my own car. How many of you if I said, hey, I'll feed that homeless person for a week? Okay, there's three of you that are lying. Okay, so here's what you just need to know. It changes things, doesn't it, when the quarter mile gets harder. And, and if, if it was you on the other end of that beam... And you needed some help, and God said, okay, Lynn, walk the quarter mile, you know, go help him." I'm just telling you, there's going to be some prayer before I make any decisions. I'm just being honest, okay? But isn't this interesting? You put my child on the other end, I put your child on the other end, and they're in trouble. And I say, hey, you know how to walk the quarter mile beam? I'll bet you just about every one of us in the room would walk that beam, right? Because because you ready for this? Because when it gets really hard, it defines what you love. What am I willing to walk the beam for? It's why. It's why what the widow did thrilled the heart of Jesus. It's why what you and I do when this thing doesn't add up, and when it gets terrifyingly scary, and what you and I do next, when it gets hard... It defines what we love. Some of you guys were here last week and we did baptisms. And let's just be honest, getting baptized can be uh, fairly scary, but we did baptisms in the auditorium. So think about this. If you were one of the people getting baptized last week, you had to get baptized in front of like thousands of people. So that that kind of took it to the new level. Can I tell you that there was one baptism we did last week that was on a whole different level? Uh, it's a gentleman by the name of Shui. As a matter of fact, I think we got a picture of Shui right here getting baptized last week. Let me tell you Shui's story. At one point in Shui's life, he weighed over 600 pounds. Because of the strain that he was putting on his body, it uh, began to just cause havoc on his back, and he's had five separate back surgeries. Now the good news in the story is is that since then he's lost 300 pounds. But it doesn't change the fact that his body is just ravaged. But God has been doing really cool stuff in Shway's life recently, and he just said, "Look, I've never followed Jesus in baptism. I want to do this." And we're kind of saying, "Well, Shui, you know, how do we how do we get you in the tank? How do we get you out of that?" Because you realize, you know, that tank it's sitting three and a half, four feet up. So there's steps, there's steps, and you walk with a walker. Sometimes you're here in a wheelchair, Shui. and then you get to the top, which isn't very big, and then you got to walk four steps down. And he goes, "No, I I know, I I want to do this." Okay, I guess we'll just grab a couple extra guys. We'll see if we need to help you. We'll get we'll get this done. Shway came on Saturday to practice walking the steps so that he could get baptized. And make sure that he could navigate it. And when he actually got in, if you notice, he's down on his knees. Because we said, Shui, we just don't know. We don't know what, what havoc that will do to your back if we're lifting you out. And so if you're down on your knees, that, that might make it more doable. And it may be a little humiliating that you've got to be down on your knees and get baptized different than everybody else on Sunday. But are you willing? He goes, I'm willing. It was interesting when Shui got out of the baptismal tank and he started to go down the ladder, a couple of our guys came up to help. He says, no, 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 no. I'm doing this one for my Jesus. I'll do it. You see the look on his face? Because here's what Shway knows. When it's harder for me than it is for others, it makes a bigger statement. And guys, I'm just telling you in the room, you may be sitting in a moment where with your finances, you go, well, no, no, no. You know, others can give because they're better financially than me. When it's harder for you, it makes a bigger statement. It's why... Two copper coins became more valuable than bags of gold to the heart of Jesus. It's her very lack that gives her the opportunity to say something so powerful to her Lord. Her choice. Her choice says everything about her heart. It says everything about who she loves, which means equally that her lack of choice would have said something too. You go, well, Lynn, wait, wait, Lynn. I, you know, I, I think maybe you're making a big deal about this. I think maybe you're blowing it out of. Okay, so grab your Bibles again and go with me to the Book of Matthew. If you still have your Bible open, it's just going to be a little bit to the left. If you closed your Bibles, that's unfortunate. No, actually, go to the back, work to the left. You'll get there. It's Matthew chapter 6. It's actually a set of verses that you probably have heard us bouncing back and forth in, kind of through this conversation. But there's a phrase in here that may just make this conversation land for you today. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. This is Jesus talking about our money. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in earth... ...where moth and vermin destroy... ...and where thieves break in and steal... ...but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven... ...where moths and vermin do not destroy... ...and where thieves do not break in and steal... ...and then ready, verse 21... ...for where your treasure is... ...there your heart... ...will be... ...also... ...and here's what Jesus understood... ...because here's what you need to know... ...with Jesus, it has never been about the money... ...it has always been about your heart... But what Jesus knew about you and me and the human experience is that your and my heart is inextricably attached to our finances. They may have never taught you this in biology class. But if you're a male in the room right now, you have a muscle that goes from your heart down the side of your body and exits in your hip pocket. If you are a female, the anatomy is slightly different. It comes across, goes through your arm, and then exits into your purse. It's why whenever the pastor ever brings up money, your muscle goes into spasm and you begin to grip everything so tightly. Because, because, right over here? Because, like it or not, your heart is attached to your money. And Jesus knew it. And he knew that you could not give your money without giving your heart but this has never been a quick, get rich quick scheme for God. It's always been a heart conversation, for us. Because where you put your money is what you love. It's why the widow passes the hardest test of all. The test. Think about this thing. The widow, the widow, when she gives, passes every test that we've talked about. She passes the test of trust. I mean, when she's putting in those last two copper coins, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, she's not trusting these coins anymore to provide for her need. She Her absolute faith is, God, look, you better show up because I've got nothing left. She passes the, tra- the test of first place because how easy would it have been, hey, God, look, I just got to take care of myself. I, 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 I got needs and my kids have got needs. And instead, she puts God in first and says, God, I'm going to do what I ought to do. And then we'll worry about my needs. And she passes the test of ownership. Because how easy would it have been for her to say, Jesus, you don't get it. These are mine. They may not be much, but they're mine. But think about this. It's not till she gets to the test of love that Jesus rises to his feet and applause and says, Look at that. Look at that. Because you cannot possibly give your money and not give your heart. Some of you have heard my story. I'm a kid and I'm growing up in Tempe and we're broke. Okay, This isn't isn't preacher exaggeration. This is we were broke. I spent an awful lot of my childhood having a family friend bring me the leftover clothes of their son. And that's what I would wear. Uh, The church down the street brought us food and would repair our cars. We were broke. I remember getting to my eighth grade year. And uh, my mom came to us and said, hey, this year... We're gonna, we're gonna buy you some school clothes. So sure enough, she took me and my sisters down to the store and she said, okay, you can get two pairs of jeans and a couple shirts. So I picked two pairs of white jeans. I don't know. I, who knows why a 13 year old does what a 13 year old does? I thought it was cool. And then I picked four solid, bright color shirts. I had a bright red one, a bright blue one, a bright orange one, so that I would then wear my white jeans and my bright-colored shirt, and I'd swap them out. The problem is, if you're 13 and you got white-colored jeans, they're completely filthy at the end of every... So now I'm washing, you know, all the time. I remember my grandfather coming over. My grandfather was an old-school Baptist preacher. And... Uh, I began to complain to him. I said, you know what, Granddad, I am just so sick and tired of not having money. And then, I mean, you know, we have money and I can only get like two pairs of jeans. And I, I, just, I just hate this. And my grandfather looked at me and said, you booger. Now, the reason he called me a booger is because if you're a Baptist pastor, that's the worst word you can say. And so he said, you booger. And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, Lynn, do you realize in the last eight years, your mother hasn't had a new piece of clothing? She hasn't had a new dress. She hasn't had a new skirt or a new pair of shoes. Her underwear has holes in it because in eight years, she hasn't bought herself a new pair of underwear. Let me tell you what a 13-year-old boy was able to figure out in that moment, my mom loved me more than she loved herself. Because she chose to take her lack and give to me first. Gift of love. You know, I think it's interesting is that you and I, when we find ourselves in moments of lack, when we find ourselves going, hey, you know, it doesn't add up, then we, we try to put God on tab. Have you ever done that? Hey, God, look, well, no, no, no. I know I ought to give. I, I know, I, you know, I know I ought to be doing that. Um, I've got to pay bills. So I'll tell you what, I'll owe you the tithe. I'll, I'll, I'll catch it up later, you know, maybe when I get, you know, the bonus comes in. I'll, I'll catch it up then. How different would my mom's statement have been to me if she had put me on tab? I mean, if she had said, hey, Lynn, I know you need clothes to go to school and all that, but I'm going to buy myself some dresses and some underwear first, and we'll just wait and see whenever we have a little extra, and then we'll buy you clothes. Well, that would have been a totally different statement, wouldn't it? I wonder what God thinks when we put him on tab. And how powerful would it be today if those of us who really are lacking made a statement of love by saying, I'm, I'm going to do this before I do anything for me because I want you to know that I love you more than I love me. Watch this. When you and I tithe, when we tithe and when we have enough to tithe and it's not a big deal and it's an easy thing to do, then what we say when we tithe is, God, I love you more than anything I could buy. But you realize when we tithe and we don't have enough, The statement changes to, I love you more than I love me. It's the very lack that gives you and me the opportunity to pass the test of love. Here's the million dollar question. What happened to the widow afterwards? I mean, you realize Scripture doesn't tell us, right? Scripture leaves you and me hanging. It leaves you and me to fill in the blanks. What happens to her when she goes home? And, and here's the deal. Look, if, if you imagine in your mind and you go, okay, I know she was faithful to God. I know she trusted God. She, she brought her last two little copper coins and gave this unextricable gift of love to say, God, I love you more than... And if you believe that she went home... Laid on the floor, curled up in a ball, and died. You're probably not ready for the test. But if you're like me, if you're pretty confident that God's seen her faith, and seeing her devotion, and seeing the test of love. That even before the applause of Jesus died out, that God was already providing for her. See, I don't know this answer, but I'm just telling you my guess. My guess is the moment she walked in her front door, God had already provided. And I don't know. I don't know if it was an aunt and an uncle who came over and said, Hey, you know what? God just laid it on her heart that we should give you a couple hundred dollars. I don't know if it was a neighbor who said, we cook way, way, way too much. and We just thought, hey, we'd bring this over for you and for your kids. I don't know how God provided. I'm just telling you. I believe before the applause of Jesus died out that her Heavenly Father was already providing for her. And if you believe that, it might be time to take the test. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So the last Sunday we're talking about it. We're done. We landed it. But in the seat back right in front of you is a card just like this. 522 families and individuals have already taken the test. And I'm going to ask you if you'll be next. That those of us in the room who may, may have already figured out this doesn't add up would take the best test of all. The test of love. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we come to the moment. And we get it. We get it that all of a sudden what we walked in here so fearful about. The thing that had us just out of our minds. And we said, look, I, you know, someday, sometime, I'm going to tithe. But it just doesn't make sense now. I've got such lack in my life. I don't I don't have the capacity to pay my bills and honor God too. And so when, when this gets easier... I'm in. And what we didn't realize is that it's our very lack that causes this final test to be so powerful. It makes it such a huge statement because it says, God, I love you more than I love me. God, I'm praying for a bunch of widows, I'm praying for a bunch of people in this room who are struggling right now financially. To simply step into a moment that says, I choose. I choose to make a statement in my lacking that I love my Jesus. I want to hear the applause of heaven. God, give us the courage to simply do that. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.